When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Wednesday morning, the 22nd of June. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Yesterday, the doll heard many impassioned contributions on a Sinn Féin motion against the proposed closure of the emergency department in Our Lady's Hospital in Navan. I've had enough of government ministers uh, uh, in my county and at a senior level acting as observers and commentators. I've heard it on LMFM and the Mead Chronicle. They're leaning one way, leaning towards closure. Leaning the other way, leaning towards keeping it open. Sinn Féin's Darren O'Rourke. We'll hear from some of those local ministers later. But let's listen now to the Minister for Health. The vast majority of doctors and nurses working in Navan Hospital are warning us all and they're warning you as their directly elected representatives that the current situation is not safe for some patients. They're telling us that over 2,000 people a year are arriving at that emergency department who could be at serious risk because the specialist care they need isn't available. Stephen Donnelly making the case for closing the emergency department in Navan, but on the other hand... The Northeast Doctor on Call Service has expressed concerns regarding reports about the acute medical uh, assessment unit. There are also very clear concerns from clinicians at other hospitals, including Our Lady of Lourdes in Drogheda, that patients would be impacted and services would be impacted uh, in those hospitals under the current proposal. And critically, that no government decision has been taken regarding the HSE's proposal for the transition of the emergency department at Our Lady's Hospital in Navan. And a lot of that concern the Minister is talking about is coming from medics in Drogheda. I've met with senior clinicians in Our Ladies of Lourdes Drogheda and they've told me that they do not currently have the resources required to cater for the additional patients that would uh, have to go through. And so for all of these reasons, I have instructed the HSE not at this time to proceed, not to proceed at this time with any proposed reconfiguration at Cavan. Not to proceed with any reconfiguration where? Not to proceed at this time with any proposed reconfiguration at Cavan. Mm. Maybe that was just a a slip of uh, the tongue or maybe the minister was distracted. Actually, Stephen Donnelly didn't seem to me to be terribly focused on Navin in that debate yesterday. And just to explain, the minister spoke for about five minutes. His speech ran to 766 words. 278 words were about a hospital in a different constituency in his own constituency and on a political attack that he made on a Sinn Féin rival over that Lachlanstown hospital. Now, that's about a third of the minister's speech, 32.38% to be exact, of his time spent talking about a hospital in his own constituency in Wicklow. No doubt Stephen Donnelly would be happy to talk to his local radio station about that. 
uh, it's odd, but Stephen Donnelly's press officer tells us the minister is too busy to talk to LMFM about Navin. Now, the HSE, as you know, wants to close the emergency department in Navin in just over a week, so that does seem a little bit peculiar. But anyway, let's uh, talk about that proposal. Jerry McEntee is uh, the clinical director of Our Ladies Hospital in Navin and consultant surgeon at the Matter Hospital. Good morning to you, Jerry McEntee, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. And uh, just in case there is any confusion, you are proposing closing the emergency department in Navin uh, and not in Cavan, is that right? Uh, Firstly, Michael, we are not closing the emergency department. And it's Navin we're referring to, not Cavan. We are not closing the emergency department. The doors of the emergency department will remain open 24 hours a day. Yeah, but it won't be an emergency department. It it won't be an emergency department. So so you're closing the emergency department. Why why, why are you saying you're not closing the emergency department when you're closing the emergency department? Because we're not closing the emergency department. Are you trying to cut people, is it? No. Michael. Yes. Why would we try to cut... Because you said you're not closing the emergency department, but the emergency department won't be open. That to me means that you're closing the emergency department. Why would we try to cut the people about such a serious thing as the health and safety of the critically ill patients at County Mead? Because that's what this is all about. Right. so, so, So you're not closing the emergency department, but the emergency department won't be open and it won't open again. The medical assessment unit will replace the emergency department. Yeah, so you're replacing will, the emergency department because you're closing the emergency department. And we'll still see 90% of the patients who currently... Mr McEntee, would you please... ED. Mr McEntee, with respect to you, can I ask you to treat our listeners with some respect and not to come out with stuff that makes no sense, saying that you're not closing something when you say, on the other hand, you're closing it and you won't be reopening it? Navin will not be providing an emergency right. service. So it's Navin that you're closing the emergency department and thank you very much indeed. I'm sure our listeners will repre- appreciate you treating them with that respect. Now I want to read but, an email but, to you but, that but, has come to me from Mark Power and he wants to know uh, uh, what's going to happen because he says that himself and his wife have recently had costs to attend their GP surgery and they both had to wait between a week and ten days for a GP appointment. My wife needs a follow-up appointment but this would mean weeks waiting so she attended any doc and I myself was referred to the Navin A&D after my GP appointment. My point, point is capacity is used to point to safety issues in the A&E but our GP structure simply can't cope and is not ready to take on extra work referring patients to the proposed A&E. I am uh, for the best model of delivering the best care and outcome for patients, but closing Navin's A&D before the proper structures and funding are in place would be a huge mistake. His question is, where are they meant to go? So you you saw the response of the faculty of Mead GPs who said, yes, of course, access to GPs at present is a problem. And there are delays in getting access to the GPs. But the GPs have said that the reconfiguration of Navin in the interests of the critically ill patients need to proceed. And there, there were, will be ways around this difficulty of access. They are already in discussion with the HSE about increased resources, but look at all the other hospitals around the country, the smaller hospitals that reconfigured 
And is anyone jumping up and down and saying there's a problem with GP access in those areas? Well, because I think there's, there's problems that are being cited and many of them were cited in the Dáil last night and we'll hear some of them later in the programme. What about the proposal to engage an extra emergency department consultant, two extra consultant surgeons and two extra consultant uh, anaesthetists? Darren O'Rourke was saying in the Dáil last night that that would bring Our Lady's Hospital up to a Model 3 hospital. Do you agree with him? With, with all due respect to Darren O'Rourke, if he thinks that employing two more ED uh, consultants, two more anaesthetists and two more surgical consultants is going to rectify the deficiencies in Our Lady's Hospital in Avon, then I'm sorry, he is greatly mistaken. The hospital has 62 acute medical beds, the third smallest hospital in the country. And if it were to be upgraded to a Model 3 hospital, it would require possibly in the region of another 100 beds. It would require the development of several subspecialty services that are not available at present and that are essential if we are going to provide a comprehensive ED service and a comprehensive emergency surgical service, like infectious diseases, like neurology, like cardiology, like nephrology, uh, along with emergency surgery and interventional radiology. And you couldn't proceed safely with an emergency department and an emergency surgical service without having all these critical backup services available. Uh, And what what, what does it mean when you say proceeding safely? Would would it be uh, like the services that are provided in the matter Uh, where you work? So we're talking about services. Those critical care services that I just mentioned are available in Drogheda. They're available in the Model 3 hospital in Blanchestown. They're available in the matter. I know, but my question to you is, are you satisfied with emergency department services in the matter? In as much as anyone around the country at present can be satisfied with the emergency services, yes, the emergency okay. services but are would you, under well, pressure for example, all around the country. Well, for example, would you agree that uh, the emergency uh, services were outrageous on the 24th of May this year? That was the word used by the INMO when there was over 100 patients waiting uh, to uh, be seen in the hospital, one patient waiting over 68 hours for a bed. Yes, but, but uh, I think... At that time, at that, on that date, several hospitals around the country were under severe pressure from the emergency services point of view. Okay, but so it's the same. It's the, it's the same hospital. It's the same hospital where a kidney transplant had to be uh, cancelled in November, isn't it? Uh, a kidney ha- transplant had to be cancelled. Uh, I'm not aware that that happened, and I'm not aware of why that happened. Well, because there wasn't an ICU bed for the patient. Right. Well, uh, th- that decision will be taken in the best interest of the patient at the time. OK, uh, I suppose the reason uh, for asking you those questions is to try and establish what is the expectation in terms of emergency department services in the country? Are, are they like uh, the services that are provided in the matter or are, are they like the services that are provided now in the Lourdes Hospital, which is one of the best performing hospitals in the country. It was one of the worst performing hospitals in the country, uh, but it is already overstretched. Uh, does that mean that there's capacity to stretch it even further? So, yes, of course, the issue of capacity in Drogheda, just like the issue of the GPs that you mentioned, there are serious factors to be considered. But it's not as if this was 
has just been dreamt up. As you well know, Drogheda has had significant investment in the last two years. They've had 84 additional hospital beds, 40 of which we have been told were on the strength of the reconfiguration of Mm. Navan. They've had three extra operating theatres. They've had an extended ED service. And they said that they need two additional ICU beds and 10 additional hospital beds and the HSE have assured them that that will happen. Okay, and, at well, the, and at the same time as as they do that, we have agreed uh, and we have an obligation to repatriate the critically ill patients when they have recovered in Drogheda, and we have agreed that they will be repatriated to the rehab unit in Our Lady's Hospital. Okay, Mr McIntyre, you're right in saying this hasn't just been dreamt up, uh, and... Uh, In line with that, let me remind you of a report that was published in 08, a report that was commissioned at a great cost by the HSE, a report which the HSE now says it doesn't want to discuss. But in this report, and I'll read you one line of this 87-page report, it says, Navin is best placed to stem the flow of patients, uh, of Meath patients to Dublin, and secure the critical mass of patients required for safe, high-quality healthcare services with a new railway link, which never happened, and the completion of the M3 and the attractions and amenities associated with a large town. Navin will be able to attract and retain the high-caliber staff required to work at the new regional hospital. Is the problem here that there isn't a, a, a regional hospital that was promised back in 2006? Well, uh, I am not aware of the promises made in 2006. I wasn't involved in my role as clinical director in Navin. But let's start now, today, Michael. Mm. What would be involved in making Our Lady's Hospital Navin a level three hospital or a model three hospital? Or a regional hospital, because that recommendation okay. was from 08, okay. which stemmed from a, a report in 06, uh, which said that Navin uh, would be the ideal site. Uh, there, there, there was weightings done in five different areas. Navin scored higher than Drogheda in all of them uh, because of the population at the time in the catchment area. And that population has only increased since then. Okay, but if you'd let me finish what I started, what would it involve? It would involve at least additional 100 beds. It would involve the development of those services that I mentioned Mm. already. Are you opposed to that? And and in each... No, I'm not. No, because that's a political decision. You see, that's that's the point I'm coming to. So so that would be the solution. Would it be a 100-bed hospital? No, a 100-bed hospital wouldn't be sufficient. A 100 bed, additional 100, beds in that? 100 additional beds, okay. all the additional services. And then to get those additional services, you need a number of consultants in each of those services, not one or two, as, as, uh, as was suggested with the emergency surgical service. Uh, you would need several consultants in each of those departments to provide an on-call service. And uh, so... If, with the best will in the world, if it was to start the process in the morning, uh, if the National Maternity Hospital and the mm. Children's Hospital is anything to go by, you and I will be long gone by mm. the time all of that will be done. Just one, ju- just one last question, uh, if I can. Uh, if and when you close the emergency department, um, which hospital group will it belong to? Well, in the current system, it belongs to the Ireland East Hospital Group. In the new alignment that is proposed it would be in the uh, RCSI hospital group. So it will uh, change hospital groups and aftercare then will be provided 
in Navan. Follow-up appointments with consultants. If you're if you're being treated in Drogheda, you, your aftercare will be provided in Navan, will it? Yes, if, if we have an arrangement with Drogheda where they take the critically ill patients, we have an obligation in turn. But you'll see the same we, doctor. Will you, you, your, your consultant in Drogheda will be the same consultant that you see in Navan, will it? Not, not necessarily. No, so okay, it, that's a problem for people, isn't it? it? If, yeah, but Is if, that best practice? Well, if the patient has recovered from their acute medical illness, there is no issue with they coming back to Navin for rehabilitation. No, I'm not talking about somebody who's fully recovered. I'm talking about somebody who's had an illness, possibly an operation, needs aftercare, needs follow-up appointments with their consultant, and then we'll see a doctor who doesn't really know anything about their case history. That's hardly best practice now, is it, doctor? In fairness, the surgeons in Drogheda, all the physicians in Drogheda, are not likely to transfer a patient out of their care if they are not satisfied that they're on the right road to recovery and so you'd still uh, have to go to Drogheda then for the for the critically ill patients for out pa- no for out for out patients why would you have to go to Drogheda for out because you said that we they wouldn't transfer them to Navan there's always I mean if you go if you have heart surgery in the morning in Drogheda uh, you, you're not just going to be uh, discharged from hospital are you there's going to be follow up appointments outpatient appointments so, so and you would like to be under the same consultant would you not Michael, heart surgery is not performed in Drogheda. Okay. But if, but if you are you understand to, the point, though. If you are referring to other surgeries, yes. the surgery would, those patients would be seen by that consultant in Drogheda prior to his surgery, and that surgeon would not be abdicating their responsibility. They would not be sending them to Navin for follow-up. They would be followed up by the surgeon who, in looked, after, who looked after their care. In Drogheda, right. which means the patient Correct. would have to follow for outpatient appointments in Drogheda. Correct. Okay. Mr McIntyre, thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you Ger- too. Thank you. Jerry McIntyre is the clinical director of Our Ladies Hospital in Navin and a consultant surgeon at the Matter Hospital. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. What an odd day, what an odd story. I have to say, I really can't get over the fact that the HSE won't talk about a report that the HSE commissioned. It was a long time ago, I know, but it was the solution to all of the problems in the region. And there's a report that runs 87 pages that makes all of the arguments for locating a regional hospital in Navan. And it tells you, because... Uh, that would be the most convenient place for more people than anywhere else. Now, people are being told you don't need an emergency department in Navan. Uh, back in 2008, the HSE was very happy to talk about that report and indeed the idea of building a new regional hospital, which was recommended in 2006. Now they say they don't want to talk about it. It's political, apparently. Uh, Paul Reid uh, is the CEO of the HSE. We asked that he would join us on the programme today. We were told, no, they won't be discussing that. I don't know if Paul Reid has been in Meath uh, since uh, the news broke that the HSE is planning to close the emergency department. Uh, the Minister for Health, uh, as you heard earlier on, said he's too busy to talk to LMFM at the moment. Uh, if he gets time, gets a, a window of opportunity, that sort of thing, he'll talk to you about your hospital and uh, the proposal in front of him to close your hospital. Uh, that's if he gets the time. Very, very busy at the moment. Uh, we've uh, some messages. Uh, we somebody asking if we could 
last year in McEntee where people are going to get a, a letter from a GP at six o'clock in the evening or the weekend if Navin uh, is by doctor referral only. It's crazy. That's a, a listener in Balbriggan. I don't think anybody knows the answer to that at the moment. Margaret Tierney says Michael Navin was promised it would have a new hospital four years ago. Uh, I think that's 14 years ago. Is it also a rail line? Uh, and we just seem to be backyard of Ireland. Uh, another text uh, from Mark Power who says uh, thanks for reading out my email. Jerry McEntee argued that GPs are not ready yet to cope with the closure of Navin A&D but the HSE wanted to close Navin on the 30th of June in full knowledge of this. That seems to be the case. Uh, we're uh, due to speak uh, with uh, Dr. Colm Henry on uh, the programme tomorrow just uh, to let you know to expect that. Uh, that's the clinical director, the national clinical director of uh, the HSC. Uh, that's on tomorrow morning's programme. That's uh, as we understand it at this stage at least. Uh, let's hear a little bit from uh, the debate last night, the Sinn Féin motion which was introduced by Johnny Gurk. Minister, this motion calls on you and your government to clearly state your position on the future of the emergency department at Our Lady's Hospital Navan. And this is why, he said, uh, they wanted to talk about it. It is clear that the hospitals closest to Navan Hospital do not have additional capacity. In Our Lady of Lourdes, Drogheda, 31% of patients waited over 12 hours in the emergency department for admission. In Connolly, the percentage is 48%. These are figures from May 2022. This is the reality in hospitals across the state. Now is not the time for reducing emergency care capacity in our hospitals. To even consider such a move in the current climate is frankly baffling. Just this week, Sean Egan, Director of Healthcare Regulation and the lead HICWA inspector, has pointed to the risks associated with such a move. He was speaking in the context of Limerick Hospital. This hospital is one of the most overcrowded in the state. Mr Egan has rightfully pointed out that the closure of smaller emergency departments in the region has contributed to this fact. Why would we want to repeat the same mistakes again? Right, so that's uh, Johnny Gurk, Sinn Féin TD from Mead West, who introduced that motion last night. We'll hear more from uh, Deputy Gurk later in uh, the programme. My apologies, by the way, I have my days mixed up. We are due to speak uh, with Dr. Colm Henry, the National Clinical Director of the HSE. Uh, not tomorrow, though, on Friday morning. Uh, as I say, I have my days mixed up. Uh, that's, uh, as we understand it at the moment, uh, we're hoping that that interview will go ahead on Friday. Now, I mentioned earlier on uh, that uh, the Minister contributed to that debate uh, yesterday evening. Uh, he spoke for about five minutes. His speech ran to 766 words. 278 of those were about a hospital in his own constituency, Lachlanstown Hospital, and a spat about that hospital with a Sinn Féin rival. Uh, and this is about a third of the minister's speech overall. 32.38% of Minister Stephen Donnelly's speech spent in the debate on Navin, talking about Lachlanstown. What is most notable from the Sinn Féin motion is not what it says, but what it doesn't say. The vast majority of doctors and nurses working in Navin Hospital are warning us all, and they're warning you as their directly elected representatives, that the current situation is not safe for some patients. They're telling us that over 2,000 people a year are arriving at that emergency department who could be at serious risk because the specialist care they need isn't available. They told Deputy Brady the same thing. I was in a room where the senior clinicians told us all, including Deputy Brady, that people in Wicklow could die. And in spite of that, in spite of that, Deputy Brady, Deputy Brady played politics 
He played populism and clearly the truth hurts Deputy Brady. But that's what Deputy Brady did. That's what he did. He misled. Please, let the minister speak. Nobody interrupted you when you were speaking. Thank you, Ken Corla. Deputy Brady was told that, that the position he was taking was putting people at risk. But he stuck with it and he perpetuates those falsehoods years later. And it's an insult to the brilliant men and women who are working in Lachlanstown Hospital. And if he was to bother taking any time to talk to them about what the, some of the best successes in healthcare have been recently for the people that he and I represent, they will say Lachlanstown Hospital. Lachlanstown Hospital indeed. Uh I don't know um, what that has to do with uh, Navin, but that's uh, a very busy man. The Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly. Sean and Kel says the GP referral issue highlights the huge problem that exists in me in relation to the availability of GP appointments. There's not enough GPs in the county, which means people are waiting days for an appointment. How is that safe? To be reliant on a GP referral to get seen at the Navin Medical Assessment Unit, which it seems is going to be the case. That seems seems to be what's being proposed is going to pose major problems he says well thanks uh, for sharing that thought with us Tom in Navin says Michael if the A&E closes in Navin then there'll be no Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael TDs elected in the next election it's as simple as this well it may not be that simple Tom I take it Tom is saying he won't be voting for either Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael other people may choose to do otherwise of course somebody else says why do GPs not open longer hours like they did back in the 80s or the 90s they opened until 8 o'clock in the evening it would take a lot of the pressure off the emergency department it's an interesting point in itself and thank you indeed uh, that's back in the days when you used to ring places and people used to answer the phone rather than machines I suppose but the world has changed maybe that's the answer I don't know uh, but thanks uh, for making that point with us uh, we'll hear a little bit more from that debate last night uh, this time we'll listen to Sinn Féin's Darren O'Rourke the, the medical assessment unit which will uh, deal with uh, uh, 90% up to 90% of, of patients currently presenting to Navin it will not work it will, I want to put that on, on the record of, of the doll. It will not work because it's GP referral only. Um, we know that our GPs are, are already overworked. They're overbooked during the day, even worse at night time. So what's going to happen? If someone is ill at home, uh, they're going to go to the door that will accept them. They will go not five a day, not 2,000 a year, but up to 20,000 a year will present at Drogheda Hospital. Now, they, it, they mightn't be appropriate presentations, but they will be there, and there is deep concern, and we're hearing it uh, uh, spelled out in detail from clinicians uh, on the front line. There's deep concern that what will happen is that those people who are presenting currently at Navin will all, or in very significant numbers, present to Drogheda and lead to worse outcomes and worse safety um, uh, rather, than, rather than better. So I think, you know, to, to, to spell that out clearly, and, and we've heard from GPs, um, we know that there are differences of opinion in the medical world, but I think in practical terms uh, that, that is exactly what will happen. And uh, 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 I would encourage the Minister to, 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 to listen to, to that. Um, the suggestion that there is no alternative to this proposal simply isn't the case. We heard 
from one uh, clinician at our meeting last night that the, the only alternative to this proposal was to quadruple capacity at Navan Hospital. So to turn it from a 107-bed hospital to a 400-bed hospital. The idea that no hospital could exist if it wasn't a 400-bed hospital is just outrageous. Um, there is, uh, uh, within the medical uh, uh, profession, uh, a thinking that what is needed to bring Navin up to a, a Model 3 hospital rather than downgrading it is an extra ED consultant, two extra uh, uh, consultant surgeons and two extra consultant anaesthetists. That's a proposal there, and I think the minister should uh, should should take it. Well, though he shouldn't, uh, not according to Jerry McEntee, who spoke to us at, at the beginning of uh, the programme and dismissed that proposal completely out of hand uh, in his interview with us uh, this morning. Now, some more messages. Uh, thanks to Eamon No Party, who says, Michael, the closure of uh, the hospital in Dundalk was a complete disaster. Dermot Ahern was the minister at the time and said it would not close on his watch. Incidentally, Eamon, you'd be interested to, to know that that closure was raised in the Dáil last night and uh, indeed the closure of uh, the emergency department in Monaghan. And we'll hear those contributions later in the programme. Uh, but Naaman goes on to say Navin is a, a great hospital. He said he had his hip replaced uh, there about five years ago. Helen McEntee is the minister for the Navin Hospital uh, and she should make sure that it doesn't close. One has to say the powers that be decide to close Navin Hospital but it won't affect them directly. Thank you Eamon for your text to the programme today. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Uh, I want to read uh, a message to you that's uh, come to us uh, from a spokesperson for the Minister for Health. He, he says the Minister has not said he's too busy to talk to LMFM. As I explained to you yesterday when the request was made, his diary is jam-packed this week and I committed to finding a slot as early as possible on it. That sounds like the Minister is too busy to talk to LMFM. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, we said that the minister is too busy to talk to LMFM at the moment. Uh, that's, I think, exactly what uh, that means. Uh, that kind of reminds me of what Jerry McEntee said to us at the beginning of uh, the programme. If you were listening to us, you'd have heard Jerry McEntee say, the emergency department in Navin is not closing. And then he said, it's closing and not reopening. So I guess it is closing. I don't know. Language is a funny thing sometimes, uh, but uh, thanks uh, to the Minister's spokesperson for clarifying that. We take it that the Minister will speak to us when he's not as busy as he is at the moment, and undoubtedly the Minister has a lot of things uh, on his plate. Now let's uh, talk about uh, something else completely different, because research by Safe Food this week reveals that 8 in 10 people in this country agree that so-called junk food advertising aimed at children should be banned. That's 80.2%, while almost 7 in 10, or 69.4% of respondents support restrictions on marketing of unhealthy foods to adults. Dr Aileen Medlin is uh, the Director of Nutrition with Safe Food and on the line. A very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on at the programme uh, this morning. Uh, they're very interesting findings. Do you believe what people are telling you? I do, Michael. I think um, one of the other pieces that the report looked at was people's understanding of obesity and people understand very well that living with overweight or or obesity has uh, serious health consequences. So um, people not only supported 
uh, a ban on junk food, but they, there was a huge level of support for all the policies, but particularly those that uh, would have given rise to a, a, a supportive and healthy environment for children. Mm. Um, for example, 90% supported uh, nutritional standards in schools, uh, healthy eating education in schools, practical food skills in schools. So across the board for the children's policies, there was massive support. Okay, they're good intentions, uh, but where are the good intentions falling down, I suppose? There has been a huge amount of work, particularly on nutritional standards. So we do have nutritional standards in primary schools and most recently released in the preschool sector. Um, We also have uh, a restriction of advertising on advertising of unhealthy food to children. The Broadcasting Authority Mm -hmm. of Ireland has a mandatory code and there is a voluntary code. But people like us in Safe Food and those others working in public health have always advocated for a nine o'clock watershed, if you like. That means that there can be no unhealthy advertising before nine o'clock, which is kind of that you know, universal bedtime for yeah. most children, even course, the older yeah. ones. Yeah, well, you'd hope it would be. Uh, I don't think yeah. I made myself clear, Aileen. Uh, I, I, I think what you're saying is that there's too many children eating too many unhealthy foods, whether it's sweets or junk food or fatty foods or, or whatever the case may be. But at the same time, your survey has discovered that the vast majority, 80% of people, support a ban on advertising. But undoubtedly, uh, to a large part, they're the same people who are making these unhealthy foods available to children. They're buying them for them or giving them to them or allowing them to have them, as the case may be. Where are those good intentions falling down? Right. So so what, this adver- what, what, an, what an environment that is full of advertising of unhealthy food does is make it really hard to make a healthy choice. So if you walk down the street, you'll see billboards that are full of unhealthy food. You'll go into the supermarket, you'll be bombarded with offers for unhealthy food. If you you turn off your phone, you'll see, sorry, turn on your phone, you'll Mm -hmm. see the ads. If you turn on your TV, you'll see the ads. So what we're doing is expecting people to make healthy choices when all around them, the environment is signaling them to do something else. So it doesn't surprise me that people are really struggling to make healthy choices. Now, it is a combination of, of, you know, improving the environment and that's the job of policymakers, but also then you're responsible for the environment in your own home. So what I would say to any parent listening is, you know, if, if and, and this has been our understanding, so we've done some research over the course of the pandemic and parents are telling us mm. that the amount of treats that children eat has increased over the course of the pandemic. So if that is the case in your house, um, start where you're at. So if they're having treats, you know, morning, noon and night, you're, you're just having them noon and night. So you're just starting where you are, taking one step back, making one improvement and then moving forward to try and have small amounts and not every day, which is the recommendation. So I, I think it's a, a combination of the, that wider food environment, if you like, but also then your own personal control of the mm. environment within your own home. OK, I guess that's the point I was getting at. People have to take that control. It's a, a little by, bit like that ad that's on the television television with the child hounding his mother who seems betwixt and between and uh, finding it very difficult to say no and then eventually comes around to say well if you're hungry you can have cheese or crackers. That's one of our ads all right yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah. Mm, Very good okay well that's something for people to think about uh, uh, and hopefully the advertising will work from safe foods perspective rather than the one uh, from the unhealthy foods uh, which seems to be having such an influence over people thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme this morning that's Dr Aileen Midlin who's the Director of Nutrition with Safe Food Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. LMFM
Now, all non-working dogs would be banned from hills and farmlands under a policy paper on public access that has been proposed by the Irish Natura and Hill Farmers Association. Phelan Malloy is the National Vice President of the INHFA and on the line. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us, Phelan. This is an ongoing problem and you believe that this could be the solution. Good morning, Michael, and uh, good morning to your listeners. Yeah, uh, this is something that we've actually been following up over a long period of time as a result of um, contact with our office from landowners and farmers who have experienced difficulties with walkers bringing dogs onto their property. So we carried out a survey, and as a result of that survey, we have produced a policy paper now just outlining areas where we feel that there needs to be legislation enacted to resolve some of the problems that we haven't, the members have encountered. Mm. And uh, I take it for the most part, you're talking about worrying sheep and sheep kills and so forth. But if all dogs are, are banned, uh, what would it mean under your proposal uh, if a non-working dog was discovered on hills or farmland? Yeah, well, the uh, problem, at the, one of the issues that we have actually um, identified is that it's, it's the dogs that are running wild and creating problems. So, therefore, you know, we have um, information where st- animals have actually been killed, sheep have been killed as a result of dogs running wild. Mm. We are making an exemption for say, uh, rescue dogs uh, and guide dogs and so because obviously they are part of you know, a necessity for, where there's uh, an incident maybe where dog rescue dogs are needed on a hill. Mm. But this would be just where dogs are allowed to run wild and mm. we definitely see a need for a, a, a major control in relation to that. Mm. But that, that, that's, that's not just... Uh, dogs who, who've escaped or who haven't been locked up. Quite often that's uh, dogs uh, who the owner has taken for a walk and has let them off the lead and then they run off wild and can cause problems. So in a circumstance like that, if a, a non-working dog is discovered on hills or, or farmland under your proposal, what would be the consequence? What would uh, your uh, response to that be? Uh, what would you be authorised to do? Would you be authorised to shoot the dog on site? Well, at, at the moment, there, there is um, a provision whereby a landowner can actually um, shoot the mm. dog. If the dog is worrying the sheep. Everyone uh, worrying the mm. sheep. Now, we would see that, you know, rather than getting into that area, we would prefer to see legislation being enacted so that uh, walkers who have dogs would actually be compelled in the situation but how is the question under control would that be something for the dog warden or would you have the authority to shoot a a dog on site if it was somewhere that it shouldn't be yeah that would be one of the proposals the whole issue of um the dog wardens and the um you know the the provision of legislation uh, around that so that at least there should be an education program to make walkers aware of the dangers that are associated with bringing dogs onto hill land. Now, we, we do know that in the vast majority of cases where organised uh, walking groups 
they don't allow their members to bring dogs at, uh, with them on the walks. This would be individuals or small groups that would be operating on a loan basis that are creating most of the problems. And it's that area that we need to see uh, resolved. Mm. Uh, would they be there in the first instance, let alone their dogs? Uh, forget about their dogs for a moment, because under your proposals, uh, there's the chance that the walkers wouldn't be there because they wouldn't have the insurance themselves to be there. Yeah, well, you, you might be aware that there's actually um, proposals to amend the 1995 Occupiers Liability Act in relation to the liability of the farmer where if an accident occurs uh, by a walker or a trespasser. Now, one of the major changes as proposed is that there will be a new section inserted in the Occupiers Liability Act that would provide for the voluntary assumption of risk, which, in other words, if, if a walker goes on to land, that they accept that there are certain risks there, that uh, they would have to actually... Try and encounter themselves rather than resulting in an accident and the farmer then being liable. So that's a very important point. The, the whole issue around the um, Occupiers Liability Act, there, there is legislation going to be enacted to modify that. And a lot of the new provisions will actually be based on the uh, experiences uh, of uh, claims being brought and some of the rulings then that have been made in relation to those claims by the High Court or even in some cases the Supreme Court. So the, the new Occupiers Liability Act will actually reflect the um, rulings from the higher courts in relation to uh, personal injury claims mm. but we see that um, even with the enactment of the new legislation there's still a, a, you know, a concern around the farmers that claims could still arise and in that situation um, you know, it can be very very expensive to defend one of those cases mm. so we would see that for anybody accessing land that they would actually have their own uh, insurance cover to to cover themselves from a person injuries point of view and also to indemnify the farmer for any damage that might be caused to stock or property yeah, or, or, or waive the right to claim one or, or the other uh, as such and yeah. I, I take it the reason you're saying that is that because of people coming onto farmland having an accident of some sort and then making a claim against the farmer yeah, that, that is, you know, the, there's case history there where down over the last number of years, uh, a number of high-profile cases have actually been reported in the media where uh, claims have arisen. Now, it has, it, it, there's one arising down in Wicklow. It was, again, it was in relation to culture. Uh, the accident occurred, as far as I recall, in culture land. Now, there was uh, an actual award made to the uh, claimant there but that was overturned subsequently in a high court case. So that's why now some of those um, cases are actually being brought into legislation so as to cover off those right. cases where claims could arise. And you called these walkers trespassers. Uh, do you think that the people realise that they're trespassing? Uh, is it obvious that it's someone's private land or uh, is it that they're taking a, a walk in the countryside as they see it? 
Yeah, well, as, as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the organised walking groups, you know, would be very aware of their responsibilities when they're going on to land, you know, and they would actually work in conjunction with landowners. It's in a very, very small number of cases where difficulties arise. And, you know, 95% of the walkers, there'd be no difficulty, but it's a small, a very, very small minority that are actually creating the difficulties. And obviously, mm. that then leads to difficulties. And I've even uh, been speaking to members of uh, organized telewalking groups who themselves have been um, abused when they actually challenged other yeah. walkers who are not abiding by any sort of rules or regulations but, uh, or outside guidelines. outside of groups, do you think that people are, are making mistakes? I mean, you talk about uh, the difference between private land and commonage land. Uh, are, are people aware that they're on private land at times when... Um, that, that they weren't, is it that they weren't aware when they were on private land? Yeah, well... There is a misconception out there that there are people who think that commonage land is actually public land. But it must be understood that commonage land is actually land that's held in common by a number of uh, shareholders. So it is effectively private land, but it's been held in common by a number of those shareholders. And and if you're out for a walk uh, on your own without the advice of a, a group or anyone else, how do you know that? the type of land that you're on. Well, it's not a major difficulty if all the rules and the normal rules and regulations are applied across all types of land. But it's an issue that actually has arisen and one of the ones that has been highlighted mm. is the whole issue about, say, wild camping and that. Mm. And that creates a difficulty. There's a serious threat there to the environment if fires are lit in that. Mm-hmm. So um, We've seen it in uh, the coolies and the morns uh, and there's no doubt about yeah. it. But, uh, I mean, if there aren't signs there, I, I mean, for most people from the towns, if you like, as far as they're concerned, they're just down the country or up the mountain or wherever the case may be, they don't realise that they're on private land. Yeah, well... uh, And I think most people don't trespass. I mean, if there is a sign there saying private land, do not trespass, most people respect that. Well, yeah, the vast majority of people will actually, you know, adhere to whatever signage and that is in place. There are a cohort that don't adhere to it, and that's where the problems are arising, regardless of what type of land it is. There is a, a feeling there among a certain group of people that the countryside is theirs regardless of the ownership and they can actually do whatever they feel they want to do. And as I had said earlier, that's a very, very small <coughs> uh, number in terms of the overall people that will be walking, but they are the people that actually create the difficulties for everybody else. But it, it, it definitely, in a lot of cases, even where there's you know, very, very clear signage, that signage is ignored. Okay, Phelan, I have to leave it there. I'm out of time. Uh, We've uh, just touched on some of your proposals, but thank you indeed uh, for taking the time to talk about them with us. Phelan Malloy is uh, the National Vice President with uh, the Irish Natura and Hill Farmers Association. Now, we're going to go back to the subject of Our Lady's Hospital in Navan and its emergency department. That's Sinn Féin motion last night and this contribution from the Minister for Justice and Local TD, Helen McEntee. And I want to acknowledge 
the wonderful staff that work in both hospitals, um, but to stress that there are different opinions here and it's important that all opinions, all views and all clinical expertise are taken into consideration. I think it's only fair and I think it's only right that us uh, in this chamber, that all of us in the role that we play, where we have a role when it comes to health and funding in capacity, where we have to answer questions to the decisions that we take, that we do ask questions, that we do get clarity and that we are able to say to the people that we represent that they will get the best possible health care. And some of the questions that I have raised and others have raised in recent days and weeks and indeed years Firstly, around the patient numbers and types. We know that from 2019, there were 22,000 presentations to NAV and A&E. We know that 2,000 or so of those are critical patients that have been mentioned. A third of those are GP referrals. The remaining 10,000 or so patients, where do they go? How do they know where to go? How do they know who to go to? We need clear answers for all of these. In terms of the medical assessment unit, how would this work? I think we had a very welcome letter from some GPs uh, only today stating that they had been engaged with uh, our hospital in Navan, that they do support this. However, we also have a letter from our North East doctors, our doctors on call, who are part of the same group, saying that they haven't been engaged with and they do not support it. So we need very clear answers as to how this would work. In terms of capacity, we look at our neighbouring hospitals, as I've said, under huge strain at the moment. We have been told by clinicians in Drogheda that the capacity is not there, that we would be simply transferring a risk. We have been told there will be additional capacity built into the system, yet a capital plan that was announced only a few weeks ago did not include resources or additional capacity for Drogheda in relation to this. So there are a lot of questions that still need to be answered. I think we as public representatives deserve to get answers to those questions. I'm very grateful to the Minister who is committed to look at all of these questions and ensuring that they are answered, not just looking at capacity in Navan, access to services, the proposed medical assessment unit, but also the National Ambulance Service and the capacity in the surrounding hospitals as well. That's the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, a local TD in Mead, obviously talking about her local hospital in Navan in that debate. Yes, and we'll be hearing more from uh, the politicians and uh, that debate in uh, the Oireachtas later in the programme. Some comments from you now, though. Somebody listening uh, to Jerry McEntee on uh, the programme earlier on saying it obvious to our listener that Mr McEntee has an agenda to downgrade the hospital uh, he can come up with all of the medical jargon he likes but he's driving this and will get his way in the end. Uh, another WhatsApp message from somebody who says I rang medical centre in Navan on Monday looking to see a doctor I was told it'll be the 19th of July before I can get to see a, a doctor that's Eileen in Kilberry I hope you're not too sick, Eileen. Thanks uh, for that. Uh, The 19th of July. Uh, Somebody else says uh, the GP service should take a leaf out of uh, the local vets who are on call 24-7. I farm near Dulik and I've often had the local vet out at 2, 3 and 4 in the morning. No questions asked, but go to the GP in Dulik, wait for as long as it suits them, then pay €55 before you can be seen, uh, before you can even get into wait. Plus, it only opens for a few hours during the day. Uh, Carmel MacDonald in touch with us about uh, the hospital too, saying she commenced 
the staff who've raised red flags regarding safety concerns at Navin. The IHEA and the INMO have been raising the flags at hospitals all over the country regarding patients and staff safety, I beg your pardon, and advocating for increased capacity. Adverse incidents are spiralling at all hospitals. Population of Meath needs A&E service and a hospital. The remit and responsibility of the Department of Health and the HSE is to resource the service and plan for the future. It is predicted there will be a 26% increase in attendances nationally as A&Es by 2030 given the population growth. Private hospitals have been and are currently being built in three to five years like in Limerick. Uh, That's the current proposal and we need a positive vision to reform our service and uh, attract, recruit, retain staff. Thank you indeed, Carmel, for your message. Michael Michael Reed Reed on on LMFM. LMFM. Now let's speak to Sinn Féin TD Johnny Girk who proposed uh, that motion that went before the door last night. Good morning to you Johnny, thanks for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. There was an amendment from uh, the government and uh, an amendment then to that from AIM2 uh, but bottom line is your motion failed. Yeah Michael it was uh, very very disappointing that the government won't support our motion because you know in, in all fairness even the government said it itself was a fair and, and, and honest uh, motion you know and we weren't looking for anything out of the ordinary just to protect and enhance services at Navin and as you know the, the minister talked for five minutes as you said yourself Michael he never once mentioned um, how he would protect and enhance services at Navin Hospital he, he, he talked about um, Lachlanstown yeah, he talked about everything uh, mm. bar how how they would save uh, services in in Navan Hospital. Mm. Um, he talked about drawdy, he talked about capacity, he talked about everything, but he never mm. once mentioned the word how you would protect and enhance services at Navan, and that was very very disappointing, Michael. Do you think he was distracted talking about Lachlanstown? Well, I don't know, Michael. I mean, you could go back to the meeting um, that we had last Monday, um, last Monday um, week with the with the minister and the HSE, Michael. Uh, you know, um, that the, the minister didn't even know that the HSE was going to hand out a briefing note after the meeting that they, they were going to um, close emergency um, services at Navan Hospital on the 30th of June. Mm. And even even I was listening to your interview earlier, Michael. And you know, look at how hard you had to press Jerry McEntee to admit that they were closing emergency services in Navan. Like you know, like he should have just come out and said we're closing them, but you. I don't know, it's very frustrating when people try to play games with language. Um, I was talking about this uh, report uh, from 08, uh, which cost an awful lot of money. Uh, the HSE commissioned it. It made all of the arguments for locating a regional hospital in Navan. The main reason for that is the amount of people in Navan, the surrounding districts and the catchment area. Uh, that that would serve uh, the four counties at, at the time, Loudmead, Cabinet and Monaghan, best that if it was located in Navan. Uh, just to read you a little bit of the conclusions, uh, they say the results are presented, are, are robust, they're consistent for five waiting scenarios used. Navan is found always to be the leading location, followed by Drogheda. Navan scores well on critical mass because it's located within the most heavily populated county and close to the heavily populated populated areas on the outskirts of Dublin. In relation to accessibility, Navin scores overall similarly to RD with Navin achieving top marks in the 2040 and 60 minute drive time catchment bans. Uh, and I think uh, what won for Navin over RD in, uh, in particular was the size of the town, the population of the town and the amount of staff that would be available to work in a hospital in Navin. Uh, are you surprised that the HSE is refusing to talk about that report today? 
Uh, there you go, Michael. You know, there was millions and millions, as you know, spent on that report, Michael. And, and, and at that time in 2008, the, um, the, the best place to put that regional hospital was in Navan. Today, Michael, we're not even we're the best place for nothing. We're not even the best place to retain emergency and critical care services. And, and our population, Michael, since 2008, how much has that increased since? You know, how can that be right, Michael? And I, you know yourself, Michael, we talked in uh, about the GP referrals. Like if people, Michael, are waiting on a GP referral, Michael, thousands of people are going to show up at RADA. This talk about four, four or five people a day is, mm. is, is, even for somebody like myself, Michael, who wouldn't understand it 100%. Okay, that so, is, so, that, so that you, crazy. You, you see this the same way as me. This is not just a report or something that somebody typed up. Uh, this is a report that follows a, a, a period of analysis carried out by an independent group of consultants. It costs a lot of money and this is their findings in this report that runs 87 pages or something like that. And it was commissioned by the HSE. It was put on a shelf. It, it's still sitting on that shelf, although it's available to everybody on the internet now. Uh, and it's gathered a lot of dust and despite all of the money and all of the findings that were uh, presented in this expert report, uh, the HSE doesn't think it would be right to talk about it now. Does that make any sense? Yeah, Michael, wouldn't it be very, very hard, Michael, to believe anything that they would tell you, Michael, when you listen to the like of that and the money that's spent on that and that they don't even want to discuss it? Like, where where would you be going with the Michael? Or where would you be believing anything that they would tell you? All you do, Michael, is go back to University Hospital Limerick uh, when they downgraded um, Nina and Ennis uh, 10 years ago. The, you know, t- today, Michael, um, the HSE readily admits that there is a deficit a deficit of 200 or so beds at University Hospital Limerick, which has not been resolved a decade later, Michael. So how would you believe, Michael, anything uh, that the HSE would tell you, Michael? So, like, I mean, is it, are we sceptical, Michael, for the people of, of, of Mead and Well, Navin? it's a long time ago. Uh, I mean, uh, do we need to go over the history lesson? Uh, you know, I mean, is it too long ago to be dragging something out from 2008? Yeah, but Michael, uh, um, like you're talking about the 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 the, the report. Yeah, the Lannis report. Yeah. Yeah, but Michael, um, if anything, Michael, um, Navan has got bigger. The town, uh, the population of Mead has got bigger. So you'd imagine, Michael, there yeah. would more of a reason than ever to to have a regional hospital if it was a good thing in two thousand and eight. Yeah. You know, or to have an emergency department. I mean, I think that's the, the the logic of the argument. I'm just wondering if I'm missing something because the the HSE doesn't seem to think that it's a, it's a relevant argument today. No, they don't, Michael. And even, Michael, they don't entertain anything we say, Michael. Not one of our concerns, Michael, would have been addressed um, uh, last Monday week, Michael, um, if the HSE had to get their way. They come along now, Michael, and they're addressing them because the Minister put this on pause. But you know yourself, Michael, pausing this is just a pure and utter waste of time. We're in this position eight months ago when we were on the streets of Navan. Like, how often do we, the people in Mead have to do this, Michael? It's not fair. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be happening, you know. So, like, I mean, we've, 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 we've listened, and, and there's medical opinions both ways. You can listen to um, from both ways, but we listen to uh, the overcrowding in, in Drogheda. We've listened to clinicians in Drogheda. You listen to everybody, Michael, and you make up your opinion. But my honest opinion is, Michael, that this is not good for the people in Mead and it shouldn't be allowed to happen and we will do all in our power to make sure it doesn't happen. Okay, but forgive me for asking you, but what would you know about it? Uh, I mean, uh, the uh, medical expertise is such that this is uh, not just good for the people of Mead, 
it would be bad for the people of Meath to continue with emergency services in Navan. It's dangerous, it's risky, it could lead to a loss of life or very serious medical complications. And we are where we are. It's not 2008. There wasn't any money in the, ex- there wasn't a red cent in the exchequer, as the Dermot Ahern phrase went back then to build a regional hospital. There hasn't been any money since. So now we have the situation where Navan is understaffed, under resourced, and Dangerous, Michael. Um, we had a public meeting in 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 Navan on Monday night. Michael, there were two hundred and fifty people that had Michael. One person after another, Michael, got up and said how the emergency department in Navan. Yeah, but what would Michael. they know about it? I, I mean, you had two GPs there who told you that it was unsafe and that it should close. We had one GP, Michael. There, yeah, there were two GPs. We heard from <laughs> Catherine Wan uh, uh, okay. uh, as well. Mark Rogers was speaking to two GPs. Yeah, but Michael, you can hear the you can hear the complete opposite opinion from clinicians in Drogheda. You can there's there's conflicting medical opinion. Um, you know, no matter where you go, I haven't heard. Uh, I mean, I, I've heard people talk about the opinions of clinicians in Drogheda. I haven't heard them say stated publicly. Do you want them to state it publicly? No, Michael. I'll tell you, Michael. We had a HICWA report last week citing very serious safety concerns in Limerick, and and it is the only emergency department in the wed- in the Midwest. And, you know, it is a single failure that nobody is arguing to close that service, Michael. So, I mean, why, why close our services? Like, you know, so, you know, you can argue these points both ways, Michael, but we need we need to protect service in Avonhoff because if they go, Michael, as you know, they're gone and they're gone for good. Mm, yeah, well, that's been the experience of uh, the other hospitals in uh, the smaller hospital uh, network uh, report uh, that goes back to 2013. Uh, we have to leave it there for the moment, Johnny. Thanks for joining us this morning, though. Thank you, Mike. That's uh, Johnny Gork, Sinn Féin TD for Midwest. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, in October of uh, next year, the Catholic Church will look at whether it should reform or not, as uh, the case may be. In a, a synod uh, under the title of discernment is the word. A uh, consultation process began last October, and Pope Francis asked the faithful around the world to, to look at how the Church currently operates. Ireland's 26 diocese set up a synodal pathway. Uh, on Saturday a National Assembly was held in Athlone. 160 delegates from across the island gathered to discuss the 26 reports from each diocese in this country. Uh, and let's speak now to Father Iggy O'Donovan, an Augustinian priest. And a, a very good morning to you, Iggy, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. I suppose reform of the Church... Uh, is something that uh, you've talked about all of your life uh, and it seems that the view of uh, the Irish faithful is that they want better treatment for women LGBTI people and they want married priests for that matter Now where did you hear that before? Oh let me but, think yeah, Oh mm. my god No but the, as things are evolving at the moment in from what you've just described in your introduction Michael about them synodality process initiated by Francis and culminating in the assembly in Athlone last week, last weekend. I'm both, if you like, optimistic and pessimistic. The optimistic point is that it's happening at all, at long last, and that uh, there's some light at the end of the tunnel and that some reality is being faced at long last. The pessimistic side and almost the sad side is one thing. It's not as if this is something new. A small group of us were saying this uh, 30 years ago, 
And in fact, I was just racking my brains before I came on, Michael. I recall 1995-96, if you keep your archive intact, talking to one Paul Maguire on your very station back in the mid-90s mm. on these very topics in my younger days in Drogheda. And it's not that a group of us were trying to change everything, but a small group, we simply were saying that we ha- there had to be an alternative, that the traditional could remain in place, but to leave room for others. And you see, that simply was not taken on board. Now, OK, leave it now and see what comes out of this. I, it will probably be a long process. Rome moves very, very slowly, though Francis has given us a certain impetus. Do you think that it will result in the Catholics of Ireland being banished from the Church? Uh, Because that small group that you spoke about 30 years ago who were looking for reform of the Church in exactly this regard were all banished. Well, most of us were, as to quote somebody, put it to me, most of us were promoted to the back benches. (laughs) Banished. You know, to get us out of harm's way. And the very things we mentioned, if you like, such as... um, lay participation, um, married priests, um, ordination of women, LGBT rights, and such things uh, were seen as so outrageous and that not only were we, we weren't seen as um, ordinary Catholics searching and seeking and looking for change from within, rather we were seen as disloyal. We were heretics, we were disloyal, we were letting down the side, we were giving it to say to Protestants. And uh, we've okayed, we made some gestures here and there, like I suppose the most striking one was our the Eucharistic celebration in 206 with Reverend Graham and myself. And certainly that was clamped down upon swiftly and fiercely, and the results are back to still with me. But it's good to see that some movement is taking place, however slowly. Mm. And I don't know if we'll see much, Michael, actually, in our lifetime. Rome moves slowly, and but it's good to see that at least as an acknowledgement that all was not well, because we spoke, there's a little group of us, and we were a small group at that time, although I must admit, that I, I detected on the ground in Drogheda some, a lot of support. Yeah. Yeah, but well, I, well we there seems to be support now. Anyway, uh, I was reading ninety-six percent of people favour the ordination of women as deacons or priests or, or both. Uh, and when it comes to LGBTI plus, eighty-five percent are concerned about exclusion, attitudes, and language. And let's not forget some of that language, uh, because the Catholic Church teaches people that LGBTI plus people are intrinsically evil. Yeah, well, two, two little points there. The first one that you mentioned there, Michael, 96% and the ordination of women. In 1994, Pope John Paul, since canonised, and I remember that because I was bloody well robbed at his canonisation of my wallet. Oh. But it, um, <laughs> God, he, issued, he issued a document saying that the ordination of women was, that that question was closed and it was not even to be discussed and that a men only priesthood was to be definitively held by all the faithful. And therefore, and therefore, we were told to shut up on that one. Now, you talk about the 96%. Now, maybe the majority have no right to do wrong, but 96%, if you're talking about the vice of the faithful, is fairly convincing. On the LGBT one, if we wanted an answer there from the voice of the faithful, we take the referendum a few years ago, mm. a reform which I supported on marriage equality. The, odd, the majority of voters who voted there were Roman, in Ireland, were Roman yeah. Catholic. And therefore, 
uh, if you talk about the voice of the people, it was loud and clear there, and from men, very, very many ordinary practising Catholics. So, no, it's good. It, we're maybe mm. moving in, at long But they belong to a church that teaches uh, that uh, they're intrinsically evil. Uh, Tell me a little bit more about the Which wallet. It's a very offensive term. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me. T- I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just totally distracted by the wallet. Uh, where, where were you when your wallet was stolen? Were you in Rome? I, I, I went to the can- uh, to Rome to the canonization yeah. of Pope, Pope, Paul, Pope John Paul and Pope John the Twenty Third. Where was it, Rob? Really go- where, 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 I was really going for Pope John the Twenty Third, but I was I was relieved <laughs> okay, of my wallet, my driving license, in fact, everything on the day. Where were you though? Were you out? Were you out in the street, or were you in a church? Or I, I was on my way to the canonization on a bus. On a bus, and right, I, I must okay, say, okay. I conferred the finger sign in all canonizations and whatnot. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, we got mm. over that. There was no great problem. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but uh, I was very curious when you said it. Uh, but, uh, I mean, um, lay involvement in the church is another issue, uh, and again, another issue that you've been talking about for 30 years plus. Yes, like I, I do recall that we tried at one time. In fact, I remember for the season of Lent, for the six hundreds of Lent, getting six lay people to do six homilies. Mm. Uh, one or two come to mind, God rest the late, Patsy Kerwin, who was a counsellor on the trade unionist, the people may remember him. I remember Patsy talking about the trade unionist as a Christian. And it was an interesting mm. talk. And I remember uh, younger, Merton McGinty spoke about being young Catholic and female, and people like that. And uh, we were reminded that the priest should really be doing the homily, or at the very least a deacon if you had one. Oh. But, but, they, but lay people had no business in the pulpit. Right. But when you talk about lay people, you're talking about the body of the church. Yeah. My God. Okay. Uh, what can lay people do? Can lay people baptise children, for example? Oh, Lord. My, my, <laughs> no, no, let me alone now on that one. Uh, clearly, uh, the end of my ministry in Drogheda came because of involving a lay person in a baptism. But that's neither here nor there. The, well, the official teaching is that in the event of a necessity, any person, including a Muslim or a pagan, can baptise anybody if, if their intention is correct. But uh, technically speaking, uh, we still keep it to priests and deacons. And uh, because, the, if you like, the great cancer which has affected our church for so long is a thing called clericalism. And clericalism, to sum it up, is that there's a small select group on top who are different and who are in charge, a type of what the old classical scholars would have called the Praetorian Guard. They, and that priests and deacons that are separate from lay people, and therefore the administration of sacraments that should be, mm. should be, except in case of necessity, confined to them. And so I wouldn't have any problem with lay people doing just about anything, but mm. at, at least that won't happen in the coming synod at all, but at least are going in the right direction and that those of us who felt all those years ago that Catholicism could be reconciled with modernity that at least some of what we said is now being recognised. Okay, Iggy, I, I think uh, a lot of these issues will be discussed at that uh, Synod in Rome in October of next year. I've also a feeling we'll be talking about them for the next 30 years for that matter. Well, but, yeah, I, th- I think so, Michael, and yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, by which time the daisies on top mm. of me will be very tall. All right, we leave it there for okay. the moment and thank you indeed for joining us as always, Iggy. Father Iggy O'Donovan, an Augustinian priest. Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's hear a little bit more about Our Lady's Hospital now. A hospital that we're all very proud of and we're lucky to have in Avon. And as a, an Avon person and a person who's attended a hospital many, many times over all my years growing up in Avon, I've no doubt that we're lucky to have it. It has saved thousands of lives 
and the people in it are excellent and provide a top-class service in many of the services they provide. There is no doubt about that. But we also have to have an honest debate about our hospital. Uh, people ask, are we concerned? Of course I'm concerned for Navin Hospital. I want the best services in Mead, in Navin, and for the people I represent. And to be genuinely honest with them, the best health service. I have to commend the motion, because I think it does ask for the best health service. It's not gone over political uh, in, in terms of a motion. Some speeches around it might, might be a little bit different, but the ask is the same as what I want. Same as what Shane Castles wants, what Helen McEntee wants, Thomas Bourne wants. We want the best health service people we represent, both in government and opposition. And I've always held that view, both in government and opposition, and I won't change that view whatsoever. But we have to tease through what's the best for Navin, for the people we represent in Mead. They want the best service. Our families, my family, who've gone there many, many years of all ages looking for different services. The staff that work there provide a top-class service. We have to have an honest debate. It has to be based on evidence, medical evidence, not about politics, not about marches. Medical evidence, medical debate. Listen to both sides, because there is medical opinion on both sides. But let's have that honest debate and honest conversation. And I want to thank Minister Donnelly for stepping in on more than one occasion to pause these proposals and say no. Let's tease this out. Let's work this out, first of all. Let's see, is it genuinely the right proposal, or is it not? And as a TD for the area, a minister for the area, I have a lot of questions I want answered. I want to be teased out. Assurances and capacity and everything else as well. And we'll tease through them. But I also have to recognise that there's medical uh, suggestions here, medical people telling us different. I listened to Gerry McIntyre. The most of the TDs here last week as well did listen to them. And I think most people believed them and were concerned. Now, we'll all differ on what the solutions are. And I'll differ with Gerry McIntyre on some of that as well. And I'll row with him. But I certainly wouldn't doubt his medical opinion and his genuine concerns for people that are going there. We have to work out what's the best way to address those concerns. Right, that's uh, Damien English. This is an experience that uh, people have lived through elsewhere. Here's Matt Carthy. For a headline from 2002, Minister Assures Future of Monaghan Hospital. Who was that minister? None other than the Minister for Health and Children, Michal Martin TD, gave a categorical assurance in Monaghan on Tuesday that the future of the general hospital was secure. We're not even allowed to call it a general hospital anymore. So that is why the scepticism is quite rightly there, because that minister, Minister Martin and all those who have come behind him, continue to oversee the downgrading of services from our hospital and always always with the promise that better services are to come. Well, we're still waiting because the better services didn't come, Minister. Ask anybody, and there are people, I've talked to people in this situation, they've drove past the gates of Monaghan General Hospital to go into the maelstrom that is the waiting rooms at Cavan, Andrada, um, A&E the departments for sometimes for hours on end, dealing with staff in those hospitals that are absolutely overstressed and overburdened. So I have to say, Minister Donnelly, don't you dare say that the removal of services at Monaghan Hospital or any other place led to better services elsewhere because there's precisely no evidence of that. Matt Carthy, is Navin the next Monaghan or is it the next Dundalk? This is so similar to the situation in, in the Lake County Hospital. Uh, tens of thousands of people marching. People also talk about the life saved and, uh, at, at the hospital and also with the excellent staff. Minister, at the moment, all roads seem to be heading to Our Lady of Lewis Hospital in Jordan. I must pay tribute to the staff in Jordan for turning the hospital around, as over the last couple of years, it used to be the top of the list for the overcrowding in the country, and now it's one of the best performance and one of the busiest hospitals in the country. Yet again, Minister, there's still 14 hour waiting list. Patients received the very highest standard of treatment there. 
My fear, Minister, is the extra catchment area, the resourcements, the staff, and uh, I, I feel the sort of position could, could get worse. worse. I'm really, I'm really concerned again about the, about, the, about the population, and I'm also very concerned about the investment being given. As you know, the, the, you know, the, the government promises plenty of money, but they don't seem to land the money there. And as I said, yeah, the situation. Uh, in, 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 the situation in Navin should not definitely be used as a political scoring point. I've already said that your health is your wealth. I always said that, Minister. Uh, please let's all work together. Please stop sending different signals. Consider the patient. Consider what is best for everybody. Minister, I think the communication line is absolutely dreadful. If you look there, both the HSC and the government is, is sending the wrong signals. HSC saying that the concerns about the safety of the emergency department in Navin bad single, at a time when all health services are under pressure, plus that the additional capacity in other hospitals and about the ability of people in the Navin area to access emergency and urgent care is not fully addressed. Minister, this has gone on for years and years and years. I think you let the people down in Mead, Mead in the surrounding areas. You promised for years to come and meet them. You came, you came, you met them and you gave them the bad news, Minister. I personally think you had in the balls from day one. So I, I, I do, Minister, please sit down with the relevant people, get the situation sorted out and please look after people's head. Right, that's a strong language uh, from Peter Fitzpatrick speaking about the experience in Laos. Uh, let's go back to what's being proposed in Navan. Uh, information that I've received through PQ from yourself has shown that if you close Navan A&E, it would actually push thousands of patients from a hospital group, Ireland East, with a lower level of adverse incidence into the RCSI group, which has the highest level of adverse incidence in the country. Um, I've asked... Uh, HICWA, have they ever carried out an investigation into this? They said no. I've asked HICWA, have they ever carried out an investigation into the effects of a closure of an A&E in terms of patient outcomes? They have said no. Because we don't do investigations in this country in relation to the the decisions that are made by senior HSE staff or by ministers. Decisions that have enormous repercussions for the lives of people in this country. Now the HSE are proposing a replacement for Navin, a GP referral medical assessment unit. And they say it's going to be 24 hour. How in the name of God can it be 24 hour when GPs' offices themselves close at 6 o'clock? When the NE doc, uh, the Northeast doctor on call, told that, said that they're not going to accept patients that would normally have been dealt with in Our Lady's Hospital in Navan. So the idea that it's going to be 24 is absolute nonsense. And this is really key. And I'm directing this to Minister Damien English as well, because you know this as, as clear as anybody else. It's, it's nearly impossible as a person new to the county to get a GP. People are going to Dublin and elsewhere to get GPs. And if you want an appointment with a GP, it could take up to a fortnight to achieve an appointment. Does anybody in their right mind think that a person suffering an emergency, an accident or ill health, is going to ring their GP and wait for a fortnight to get a referral to an MAU? It is absolutely not going to happen. People are going to circumvent the MAU and go straight to uh, Drogheda Hospital. And I want to draw your uh, attention as well, if I can, to the Linus report. This is published by the HSC uh, just uh, a number of years ago. And it said that the new regional hospital should go in Navan. Why? Because of the burgeoning population in Navan. Your HSC spent millions on that report, and now the HSC is pegging that report into the bin. And just before 2011, Damien English and five other Fine Gael uh, reps stood outside the new regional hospital in Navan and promised, or promised a new regional hospital will be built in five years, nowhere to be seen. Right, that's Patrick O'Bain, 2TD, and uh, 
the chairperson of the Save Navin Hospital campaign. And let's talk a little bit more about that Linus report that he referred to. I've been calling it the Lenus report, L-E-N-U-S. Uh, it does make uh, the point, and I'll read directly from that report for you now, an overarching goal of uh, the study to was identify a hospital location that would generate a sufficient critical mass of patients required to generate safe and high-quality patient care. This is required to address the fundamental concerns about clinical quality and safety raised in the Teamwork report, which was a report that was published two years previous to this one. To achieve this, the regional hospital, because this is about the regional hospital and where it should be located, the regional hospital, this report says, will need to be close to a large population centre or areas of the region where population densities are highest. And that is why that report apparently uh, chose uh, Navin to be the ideal location for the new regional hospital that was being talked about at the time. Of course, that never transpired, and here we are today. Uh, And I suppose uh, the population densities are highest, uh, but uh, therein lies uh, the argument and uh, the question why that report is not relevant today and why the HSE doesn't want to talk about... Actually, has said it won't talk about it today uh, for that matter. Thank you very much uh, to everybody who has been in touch with us. Uh, some comments we didn't have the time to come to, which we will come to tomorrow. And that is our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. 